things first. This is about truth telling. I have no agenda. Zero. I always have questions. What's the problem? That's just who I am. This is what no mercy is all about. Hey, here I come. You can book it. Ah. This is the moment of a lifetime. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gon' stop me high? Who gon' stop me high? Breath taking a move that I make. I give it everything I got. Cause that what it takes. I push the limit till it break. The heart of the brave. The soul of a legend with the will to be great. Hold up. Welcome. <laughs> Sports and politics, yes, they do intertwine. And I don't have a problem with it at all. The Stephen A. Smith Show coming your way right now. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest edition of the Stephen A. Smith Show coming at you as I love to do uh, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from... At I'm sorry, at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 1 p.m. Pacific over the live digital airwaves of YouTube. As always, we're here in my studios thanks to our official studio sponsor, FanDuel Sportsbook. FanDuel is the official sports betting company of the Stephen A. Smith Show. Make sure to like and follow the Stephen A. Smith Show right here on YouTube. Click the bell to get notified of all of our new content. And again, thank you from the bottom of my heart. Subscribers have escalated above 267,000. I've picked up about 12 to 13,000 subscribers over the over the weekend alone for crying out loud. That doesn't happen unless y'all are continuing to show me love. So I really, really appreciate it. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. I know I take calls at the end of the show, by the way, but it's usually y'all leaving me a message and you want me to sign. We're just weeks away from me installing uh, the kind of technology that will enable me to take live phone calls. So stay tuned for that uh, within the next couple of weeks or so to come. But for now, the Stephen A. Smith hotline is 646-SAS-0769. That's 646-727-0769. Got a lot on my mind today, and we're going to start off uh, where, I, where I articulated about the cold open because the Orlando Magic made news recently. I mean, uh, apparently they uh, made a donation, and they made a donation to the Super PAC for presidential hopeful um, Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida. Um, their GM is black. His name is Anthony Parker. Most of their players are black. Their head coach, Jamal Mosley, uh, is black as well. Um, but they don't own the team. RDV Sports owns the team. And obviously, that has a lot to do with the DeVos family, uh, who don't really speak publicly about their political contributions. Uh, but nevertheless, that's relevant here. You see that picture. That's Anthony Parker right there, the new GM, just named the GM last month. Um, Orlando, damn good player. Really, really good guy. Deserving of that opportunity. I'm happy for him. Jamal Mosley, the coach of the Orlando Magic, is a young brother uh, that just got the job there in Orlando a couple of years ago. And I think that he's got tremendous promise and he'll do good things there obviously both conscientious, uh, but one could easily argue the same can't be said for the organization. I'm not here to excoriate the Orlando Magic. Um, in fairness to them, let's make sure that we highlight some of the details. 
Number one, it was a $50,000 donation to the Never Back Down Incorporated Political Action Committee that supports the presidential campaign of Florida Governor uh, Ron DeSantis. According to records filed to the Federal Election Committee, the donation was received on June 26th. The Magic initially emailed a statement to USA Today Sports. I'm reading from USA Today Sports on um, this past Wednesday where they indicated, or rather today, where they indicated that they don't publicly comment on political contributions. Yet hours later, a spokesperson sent an update saying the check was dated and delivered May 19th. <sighs> Here's the weak part of that statement. DeSantis formally announced his presidential campaign May 24th. You, as an organization, are saying that you made your donation days earlier. You didn't know Ron DeSantis was going to be running for governor? I'm sorry, running for president? You didn't know? See, that's where, see, all you had to do was just be quiet. All you had to do was say, we're supporting the governor of our state. That's it. That's all you had to say, which is what you said in the statement. But what you did was try to camouflage it by saying, well, we made this donation before he announced, he formally announced his presidency. When everybody and their mother knew, even when he won the election during the midterms, by about 19%, by the way, it was a landslide. Everybody and their mother knew he was running for president. So why are you using that as an excuse? Evidently, you felt uncomfortable with the world knowing that you made that donation because you got a black GM and you got a black coach and you got black players. And evidently, you felt a bit uncomfortable. Now you're going to do what you're going to do. And you got a right to donate to whomever you want. And everybody in our society is not liberal, progressives, and leftists. There's a whole bunch of conservatives. There's a whole bunch of GOP folks. There's a whole bunch of Republicans, okay? We get all that. But stand on who you are and just be done with it. The Orlando Magic didn't do that, and that's unfortunate, okay? But to me, there's a bigger story here. And the bigger story here is no matter what side you're going to take, let me stand up and support Jonathan Isaac. He is a black player born in the Bronx, drafted sixth overall in, in, 20, 000, in 2017, if I remember correctly, who plays for the Orlando Magic. Staunch Donald Trump supporter. Let me applaud him. Because at least you know where he stands. He ain't ducking and weaving and dodging. When the whole protest was going on in the aftermath of the George Floyd murder, and there was protests going on all over the place, and even before that, when there were people who refused to stand for the national anthem because of the whole Colin Kaepernick fiasco, Jonathan Isaac stood. And Jonathan Isaac refused to wear a Black Lives Matter t-shirt. I'm not saying that I agree with the decision. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is he's made it clear where he stands. Where the hell else is all of these other athletes? Where are you? We've got a governor in Florida that has made a plethora of decisions that the LGBTQ community has found offensive, that the black community has found offensive, that immigrants have found offensive. I mean, hell, we got a governor in Florida that took immigrants from another state and flew them to Martha's Vineyard. That had something to do with dropping them off in front of the house of the vice president, if I remember correctly. So where's everybody then? See, this is the part that we got to pay attention to, because what we're after is consistency. 
If we're going to be a society rife with principles and integrity and making sure we let people know where we stand, where the hell y'all at? I remember taking heat. I remember taking heat because of the whole Colin Kaepernick thing. And I supported Colin Kaepernick. I supported him kneeling. I said he's an American citizen. He has that right. I said that. I said he was being blackballed unfairly, I might add, by the National Football League. He didn't violate. Not only did he did he not violate any laws, he violated no bylaws of the National Football League. And it was wrong for them to blackball him. What I did say was one thing. His strategy as it pertained to resolving matters with the National Football League, I didn't think was thoroughly vetted. And as a result, you had black people all over the place going off, feeling like I didn't support Colin Kaepernick. I was a sellout. Jonathan Isaac, no doubt, is going to be perceived that way because he was willing to stand for the national anthem when others were taking the knee. He wasn't down with wearing the Black Lives Matter t-shirt after the George Floyd killing. But we saw a whole bunch of people protesting. See, this is why white America has this level of patience when it comes to us. Just be quiet. Let it pass. It'll die down. And then ultimately, folks will fade into their own thing again. And they'll get caught up with their own individual lives. And they'll do what they'll do. Because who's going to really stand together and be consistent? Who's going to really stand together and be consistent? Where are the NBA players? Ron DeSantis. Even though he wasn't on the board that came up with some curriculum that was highlighting benefits from slavery, he defended it. He probably appointed some of those board members for all I know. He actually said, hey, I didn't make the decision, but I assume this is what they meant and I have no problem with it. And all these professional athletes, particularly those in Miami and Orlando in the NBA, Jacksonville in Miami and Tampa Bay in the NFL, I don't hear anything. Crickets everywhere. Nobody got anything to say. Now, you might not want to go overboard and think that the man should be removed of office from office and have his whole record ignored because there has been some success in some people's eyes in the state of Florida. But damn, nothing, nothing, just nothing. But y'all want to look at Stephen A. Why don't you, why don't you say something, Stephen? Why don't you say something? I speak all the time. I vote. I pay enough attention to policy to understand who I want to vote for and who I don't. I don't lean on a couple of politicians engaging in demagoguery to scare the living hell out of me about how somebody's racist as if I'm not supposed to look at them like they might be too. I pay attention, pay attention enough to understand who the hell I'm voting for. To understand who the hell I'm speaking out against and who I'm speaking for. Where y'all at? Nothing, nothing, crickets. I may not approve 
of the Orlando Magic supporting Ron DeSantis. Because honestly speaking, I think Ron DeSantis has blown his chance to be a president. The stupidity of his argument against Disney combined with this argument against teaching black history in Florida schools combined with his position on immigration. He has fought battles that are absolutely positively senseless to the state of Florida. He has stuck his nose in stuff he had no business sticking his nose in. And oh, by the way, don't think it hasn't cost him. Disney already cost him a billion dollars by taking their business elsewhere with their project that Disney was going to engage in, in building uh, additional facilities. It's already cost the state a billion dollars. And it could cost them more. And yes, we all know my day job is with Disney because I work for ESPN. Let me take it a a step further by incriminating myself. I know Bob Iger personally. I was just hanging with him last week. I know him personally. And I can tell you one thing about Bob Iger. That's not somebody you want to go up against. We got to know our lanes. We got to know who to mess with and who not to mess with. And Ron DeSantis, good luck with that. All you want to keep, 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 keep thinking. Something going to happen to Disney more so than it's going to happen to you. Good luck. I ain't standing in that fight. I don't know all the details. That's not something I talk with Bob Iger about. That's far above my pay grade. But I know that man. And I know he don't back down from a fight. And I know when he does fight, he usually wins. Folks looking at Disney, thinking folks are struggling because we we laying off folks and stuff like that. Layoffs happen in business all over America. Come look at Disney when the proverbial finish line is crossed. And tell me who won then. Don't come to me in the middle of the fight. This ain't Errol Spence versus Terrence Crawford and we screaming for the top the fight to be stopped before it actually gets stopped. No, 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 no. Don't work that way. Not against Disney. But Disney ain't the only one. Because that's a billion dollars right there. There's others. Black fraternity. Moves convention out of Florida. That would be the Alpha Phi Alpha fraternity, the oldest historically black college fraternity in the country. They're moving their planned 2025 convention out of Florida because of the, quote, harmful, racist and insensitive policies of Governor Ron DeSantis, according to the Associated Press. The general president of the fraternity, Willis Lonzer, said in a statement that the decision was driven in part by Florida's new public school, Black History Curriculum, which teaches middle school students that enslaved people developed skills that, quote, could be applied for their personal benefit. Remember, the NAACP also recently uh, issued a travel advisory for the state because its policies are hostile to black and LGBTQ folks. It doesn't help that every time we see Ron DeSantis with his, his staff and his support base around him, you don't see a black dot anywhere, let alone a black person. I'm not saying he doesn't have black employees. I'm saying I haven't seen them. What you doing, hiding them under a rock? Where the hell are they at? I mean, damn, there's black conservatives in the state for crying out loud. How about having them around you? It would be nice to see. It's amazing how folks on, on the right don't get the importance of optics. 
If you want to represent America, represent America. Is America lily white? Devoid of a tan? Are they orange like Donald Trump? I mean, what the hell? There's black people. There's light-skinned black people. There's white folks with a tan. There's Latinos. There's Asian Americans. There's Native Americans. You got all types of folks in the United States of America. And every time you see GOP candidates, they surrounded by folks who are so damn clear, you look like you can see right through them. And you wonder why the rest of the folks don't feel like they represent it. Pay attention. Pay attention. Props to the Alpha Phi Alpha community. I agree with my big brother, Joe Madison, Sirius XM, Channel 126 every weekday morning, 6 to 10 a.m., the Black Eagle, when he sat up there and the other day, and he talked about applauding the Alpha Phi Alpha community. They made a statement. Some idiot called into his show talking about they didn't have a contract. Yes, they did. You got to have a contract to be committed to having the convention in the state. So that's the lie. But that's not the point. Even if they did it, they were willing to make a statement. Everything doesn't have to be legalese. Everything doesn't have to be inked. Statements can be made without all of that. I'm a member of Omega Sci-Fi community. Rude dog. But let me tell you something right now. Alpha Phi Alpha, props. Major love and congratulations to you for stepping up. Omega Sci-Fi, we always going to do that. We always going to do that. That ain't the only thing that I wanted to get to about, uh, get on, uh, only person, only folks that I want to get on about, though. Because let me tell y'all something. I don't know how everybody else feels. But right now, as we sit here today, And I brought up the NBA players and the NFL players. Speak about everything else. You can't see the forest from the trees and how you can stand up and take a position politically to quell the kind of momentum that DeSantis is trying to build to highlight the level of division he's created with some of the policies that he's invoking in his state and trying to invoke nationally, assuming he wins the presidency. You don't think it's apropos and pertinent for you to get involved? We just want to sit up there One of us got to get murdered to take a position. It's got to be police brutality to take a position. It's got to be a wannabe cop like George Zimmerman killing Trayvon Martin for us to take a position. Why can't we look at simple politics and take a position? Why can't we look at simple policy and take a position? Why can't we just look and see it for what it is and say, hell no, this is unacceptable. And to reiterate again, I'm an independent. I'm a registered independent. Yes, I do vote Democratic most of the time, but I got conservative belief. I believe in free market capitalism. I believe in national security. I believe our borders should be, when you come in as an immigrant, you should come in legally. And if you going to come in illegally, get your ass to the back of the line. I'm not talking about children, though. I'm not talking about children. We absolve them at all costs. We protect them at all costs. But if you have to come in there with your parents, you got to come with your parents. Because I certainly don't agree with 
children being separated from their parents. What I am saying, however, is I use the analogy my boy Jeff in L.A. always uses. If I go to Six Flags Great Adventure or I go to Disney World or any amusement park for that matter and I stand online for three hours to get on a ride and right before it's my turn to get on a ride, somebody who didn't stand in line jumped in front of me. What am I going to do? We all know what we would do. We wouldn't follow the hope creed, as Cedric the Entertainer said in Kings of, the Com- in Kings of Comedy. We follow the wish creed. We wish. We wish your brother would skip us and jump in front of the line in front of us. Get your ass back there. That's exactly how we would feel. So let's understand that for what it is. But I digress. I want to get to our vice president, Kamala Harris. I might be in a minority when I say this. I don't approve of her decision to reject debating Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, on the curriculum that exists within the Florida schools. I don't agree with that decision. Let me emphasize what I'm trying to say here because it's important. I understand her decision. I understand the decision of our vice president. You don't want to give Ron DeSantis any fodder. You don't want to give the Republicans any material to ultimately be used against you to feed their base of supporters and constituents. I get all that. I understand it from a political perspective. I'm not calling the decision idiotic. I'm not trying to disrespect the decision. I'm simply talking about my preference and what I don't like. Ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you something. If the governor of Florida himself, I'm not talking about having somebody on some board accompanying him, which is what he said would be the case when he invited Vice President Kamala Harris to Tallahassee to debate this issue. No, I would want to debate him one on one. That's not a debate I would run from if I'm the vice president. And let me tell y'all why. And I'm not calling her out. I'm not going to disrespect Madam Vice President. I'm not going to do that. Okay? Only issue I've had with Kamala Harris, as I've stated publicly right on this show, is she giggles too damn much. Okay? She just does. I don't like it. And the reason why is because on too many occasions, it appears to be an evasive tactic. You're asking her any questions. <laughs> no, you're the vice president. Highly intelligent, far more accomplished than 99.9% of the people on the planet. Very articulate, graduate of an HBCU, Howard University. You're a bison. Sisters everywhere showing nothing but love and support for you. Ain't no giggling. You got to come like a bat out of hell. Let's go. Let's go. I don't like the fact that the governor of California, Gavin Newsom, has been the most fiery, the most articulate, the most sharp presenter of progressive liberal policies in this country than any of our prime elite candidates that are in the picture for the presidency. 
Robert F. Kennedy Jr., President Joe Biden, Kamala Harris. Gavin Newsom has stood out above the crowd. Let's call it what it is. Let's call it what it is. And to me, our vice president was granted a gift. Ron DeSantis didn't invite you to the state of Florida to talk about the state of our economy, of our economy or our struggles with immigration or the war in Ukraine. He invited you, a white man, a white man in elected office invited you to debate slavery. Everybody in their mothers knows you cannot make that argument if you're somebody that's white. You can't do it. You can't do it. It doesn't matter whether you could deduce from the personal experiences, craftsmanship, carpentries, electrical, whatever it is the hell that you could come up with. It does not matter that you can point out those things. The word positive can never be associated with slavery. That's forced labor. If you are the vice president of the United States and you cannot stand up before a white man in the year 2023 and check him to his face on that issue, what level of faith am I supposed to have in your fight? Are you afraid that Ron DeSantis is going to bring up the black men in the state of California that were incarcerated when you were the attorney general of the state of California? Is that, is that, is that the fear? I frowned upon it myself, Kamala Harris. I've seen you speak in the past about Brothers being thrown in jail over such minor charges. Didn't like it. But that still doesn't equate to slavery, the kind of slavery Ron DeSantis is alluding to. That might be considered modern day slavery in some people's eyes. But not the kind of slavery he was talking about. From back in the day, you should be able to argue that. You should be able to eat him alive. You're an HBCU grad. You are an you're a former senator. You are as accomplished as they come. Your level of intellect, no matter how much they try to challenge, you can't be challenged. You're not stupid. You're not dumb, vice president. The issue is you're challenged because there's a White House administration hovering over you that makes you a bit reluctant to speak because you might say the wrong things. It don't make you dumb. You are brilliant. You are smart. You are accomplished. You can back up anything you feel. And this man comes at you and challenges you to that subject. And you're hesitant. I might stand alone, y'all. 
but I ain't vibing with that. I'm just not. Jake Paul, I'm going to transition back to some boxing because I got to talk to that brother in just a minute, but not before we go to break. Don't touch that dial. You're listening live to the Stephen A. Smith Show. Be back with more in a minute. This is the moment of a lifetime. Uh-huh. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gonna stop me high? Who gonna stop me high? Let me transition back to the world of sports because I've been interested in talking to my next guest. Uh, with me right now is a man who has energized and revitalized the sport of boxing, as far as I'm concerned, not only with the impressive start to his career, but also due to the brutality of his knockouts against the sporting world's biggest names. He'll fight again this Saturday, August 5th. Please welcome the one and only Jake, the problem child, Paul. Jake, Paul, what's going on big time? How are you, man? How's everything? I'm good, man. Excited for this fight. Ready for my redemption arc to start on Saturday. Now, you know why not. You know me. First of all, let me say this to you. I get on you all the time, but I got love for you. You know I like you, and I love what you do for the sport of boxing. I love the work that you put in, how much you care, and, and a lot of the issues that you talk about. As far as I'm concerned, you don't cheat the game because you go out there and you train hard. You do what you got to do to be the best that you could be. But I keep telling you, you ain't a scrub. You're pretty damn good. And if you're pretty damn good, once again, you're getting into the ring with a fighter, but not necessarily a boxer in Nate Diaz. Why are you doing this? Man, I've always wanted this fight with Nate Diaz, and there's been beef there. And the whole reason this all started was people were talking smack to me, and I had to settle the beef. Mm-hmm. So he said a lot of things about me, my family, uh, my career, and basically has said that he would beat my ass. And I'm not okay with that. So. Mm-hmm. That's I right. want to settle beef man to man. And he's a massive name. He's a massive name. He he brings a lot to the table. He's been boxing since he was, you know, 16 years old with world champion Andre Ward. Um, you know, so he's been boxing and he's tough and he comes forward and uh, he makes exciting fights. And so I think the fans are the ones who are going to win out of all of this. You know, Nate, Nate Diaz does have a tremendous reputation. He's as tough as they come. He doesn't back down from anybody. Um, there's no question about that. But as it pertains to you, what are you hoping to get from this fight other than a victory? Obviously, you want to win. You want to win in spectacular fashion. You want to put him to sleep. I get that part. But what else are you hoping to accomplish with this particular fight? I think just to gain experience under my belt, you know, it's only been three and a half years as a professional fighter. Mm-hmm. And my goal is to become a world champion. And the only way I do that is by fighting in these big moments, fighting longer fights. This fight's 10 rounds, which is more than I've done in my previous fights. Um, so to get those rounds of experience under my belt, I brought in a new team uh, to see, you know, to, to switch my technique, to implement a new game plan and to prove to myself that I can come back from a loss mm-hmm. and get even better and to show the world and to show kids out there if you lose in in basketball and your local thing if you lose in life if you get a bad grade whatever it might be that you can not just be down from that but come back stronger and that's what i want to prove on saturday now is it true that sugar shane mosley former uh welterweight champion of the world junior middleweight champion of the world is it true that that he was uh helping you to train for this fight is that true Yes. Yeah. Okay. He's uh, been in this camp the whole entire time mm-hmm. and has been very, very helpful. What made you bring him on? 
We had originally worked together for my first professional fight, and he was like super busy after that. And after losing, I just went to the drawing board and reevaluated everyone and everything on my team. And I wanted to bring back um, some of the people that I had originally worked with. And that's really where it all came about. But um, it's been an amazing camp, the best camp of my life. I'm feeling better than ever, best shape I've ever been in, best mindset. So I'm just excited to go out there and I'm feeling super confident. I know what I'm capable of. Honestly speaking, I don't take I, I don't take you seriously when it comes to you saying you're in the best shape of your life because you always say that and you're always in shape. I've never seen you walk in the ring out of shape. You don't cheat people. I think that's the thing that people make mistakes of. They hear you talking and they underestimate you and then the weigh-in comes and then fight night comes and they're like, oh shit, what was I doing? What was I thinking? See, I, I think that's how you get them. I think you get them. You psych them out most of the time because you're always, isn't it true? Tell people what your workout is like and tell people how much you work on boxing and being in shape three hundred out of 365 days in a year. It's my life, you know, and this camp was nonstop. We're waking up you know, at the track running 800 meter, 400 meter, 200, 200, 800, 400, 200, 200, 200, mm. sparring, sprinting, all types of workouts, push-ups, pull-ups, sledgehammer, tire flips, jogging five miles after that, abs, getting punched in the stomach nonstop, and then doing it all over again the next day. Ice baths, recovery, yoga, meditation, visualization, manifestation of winning the fight. This is This is my life. Um, and it's really all I do that and promote the fight. And that's the, those are the two things. And I think people get confused by me promoting the fight. They think I'm just like messing around by making these skits and having fun. Um, and they think I'm, you know, not going to come in and take this guy's head off. I'm going to, he's a wannabe gangster. He's been disrespectful. He's been unprofessional and I'm a very nice guy, but as soon as the bell rings, I'm, I'm ripping his head off on Saturday. Talk to me for a second, because you talked about boxing being your life. It's it's what you do. It's what you're committed to. Um, what was it like? Take us back to how you were feeling months ago when you got in the ring against Tommy Fury, who you wanted badly, and you ended up suffering your worst loss. Before I get into the details about that fight, I want you to first educate us and enlighten us about what was your emotions walking out of that ring that night, walking back to the locker room after you had suffered the first loss of your career? Yeah, the taste of a defeat is terrible. It's it's uh, it's one of the hardest things to go through, but it can create something amazing. And that's exactly what it did for me. I never wanted to taste that again. And so it put me onto this path of being more committed, bringing around a better team, doubling down on, on this sport. I was going through a lot of things leading up to that fight and didn't prepare properly. And it showed in, in the ring. And I said to myself, I'm never going to let that happen again. Um, and now I feel like this loss has set me on this path that I was supposed to be on before. Um, but I, yeah, it's a tough feeling, man. But I, again, that's what I want to show kids. Mm -hmm. You can lose on the biggest stage possible and turn it into a W two L's yep. make a W. I got you. I got you. That's a good point. You care to share with the audience and the kids out there what kind of things you were going through? Yeah, I was uh, I was going through things outside the gym, like uh, breakup, like mentally, like getting sick, um, you know, not being not being on point and trying to jam pack a camp in six, seven weeks. Mm -hmm. 
I basically started the camp seven weeks before the fight. And there's just not enough time for someone at my level to prepare. I get to Dubai, you know, there's dust in the air that I'm apparently allergic to. So I'm Mm. sick for like another 10 days. Um, Yeah. Just going, just everything that could have went wrong in this fight, like in that fight went wrong. Mm. Um, So it is what it is. And it's not, I'm not sitting here to make excuses. Like I lost, I I was the one who chose to get into the ring and put everything out on the line and no one's going to remember the excuses I make or whatever. Mm -hmm. It just, I lost fair and square. It is what it is. Um, but I'm going to come back stronger, and and eventually I want to go back after Tommy Fury. I was getting ready that. That was where my next question was because I yeah. would think it automatic. I mean, listen, we just watched uh, Terrence Crawford destroy Errol Spence Jr., and I take no pleasure in saying that because I got a lot of love and respect for Errol Spence Jr., but we saw him destroy Errol Spence Jr., and they're talking about an immediate rematch. I was thinking the same would have happened with you and Tommy Fury as opposed to you going up against Nate Diaz. Was that because Tommy Fury didn't want it, or is it because you want to go back to the drawing board, handle your business against Nate Diaz, who you clearly dislike and you believe dislikes you, what was the motivation behind that decision? Yeah, the plan uh, leading up to Tommy Fury was always to fight Nate Diaz after because he's obviously a free agent from the UFC. I think his plan is to go back to the UFC. So the time to fight him is now. Um, And the Tommy Fury discussion is is still in the works. And I know I'm going to go back and, and get that W. You know, he... He barely beat me at my absolute worst. I put him on the canvas. Um, and so it's just a necessity for us to run that back. And I know that when I'm going into the ring, feeling at my best, I'm going to absolutely destroy him. Mm. So now that we are here and you're getting ready to fight Nate Diaz, as you're looking at your life right now, uh, where are you at, Jake, compared to where you have been in, 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 in the past, you were, you, you know, you knocked out Tyron Woodley. Don't get me started to what you did to my man, Nate Robinson. I think you should be, you should have been arrested for what you did to Nate Robinson. I mean, my God, you know what you did to, I still haven't been able to find him. Still APB out for him after that, after that, after that beating. But then again, he did instigate it. You didn't start it with him. He started it with you. So I can't fault you for that. But ultimately what it comes down to is that you are a person that walked around with a lot of confidence, not to say that you still don't have it now, but just where your mindset is as it pertains to this sport of boxing because folks want to see you in the ring fighting some boxers as opposed to people who just box but are not really boxers. Yeah, look, I'm in the I'm in the best mind space, best head space I've I've ever been in and for me it's about taking steps up in my level of opposition and challenging myself. That's why we wanted to make this a 10 round fight because Nate has some of the best cardio this sport has ever seen. Um, so I'm continuing to challenge myself, continue to grow in experience and continue to just get fights under my belt as I fight boxers in sparring, in training, you know, fighting Tommy Fury and just taking steps up and up and up uh, in the level of opposition and eventually going to, you know, fight people at the highest level, mm. the top 10 the world champions. That's what I want to go for. And I'm sparring against these guys in practice. I work with these guys in practice. And now if, over the next two to three years, it's just about uh, developing my career and getting to the point where I can compete with them under the bright lights. What do boxers say to you about you and what they see? What do boxers say? And and who are these boxers who talk to you and really let you know what they think about you? Yeah. Um, I mean, like Ch- Chad Dawson, world three-time world champion. Yep. 
Vlad, Vlad Shishkin. He's the, currently the number one challenger for the IBF title. These were the guys that I was working with the most in camp, and they're just like, he can punch. He can fight. He's got power in both hands. He's dangerous. He's slick. He gets into a rhythm. He's tricky. Uh, he's got good defense. His body shots are incredible. Like These are words from, from their own mouth, and they would tell you the, the same thing. And that's where this confidence has come from is in my preparation and you know, working with these guys who are at the highest level and them giving me that direct confidence. That's why I've talked so much and, and laid it out on the line because I know what I'm actually capable of. Um, and I think before my talking was louder than my skill level, and now my skill level is higher than my talking. You don't think that's going to end up hate, uh, hurting you? Because I got news for you. You're an exceptional promoter. And the fact of the matter is you opening your mouth and you talking has 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 packed some has packed some arenas. Uh, so do you think that's a good thing for you to sort of quiet down a little bit and let your skill elevate and let that doing the talking? Or do you think it might be important for you to keep talking while your skill level elevates? Well, I'm going to keep talking. That's just who I am. Right. But I'm saying my skill level is like matching it now. OK. Um, or, or is above. I'm always going to promote. I'm always going to, you know, sort of be a, be a little jackass and like poke and prod <laughs> right because i i like to do that um but yeah at this point people are also watching the fights because of the skill level and because i'm making exciting fights and all of my opponents have touched the canvas every single person that i fought i've put down onto the canvas and you know that's what boxing fans want they they, they want that exciting power that those big knockdowns or big knockouts and that's what i keep on giving them what was it like for you? Just a couple more questions before I let you get on out of here, man. I really appreciate your time. Jake Paul right here with me on the Stephen A. Smith Show fighting Nate Diaz, uh, former UFC fighter, uh, this Saturday night, August 5th. Can't wait to see it. Jake, what was it like for you watching Terrence Crawford versus Errol Spence? I know there's no way in hell you missed that fight. What was that I like was shocked. You? I was shocked and highly impressed by Terrence Crawford and his strength, his poise, his, his skill level, his defense. Um, it was a master class and I think it shot him right up to the, you know, number one pound for pound. And it's all credit to Errol Spence, who has the heart of the line. I was rooting for Errol Spence. Uh, Errol Spence is a dope guy. I like him. I think he's super cool and he has the heart of a lion, but it just, Terrence was unstoppable that night. Teddy Atlas told me that he looked at Terrence Crawford and he has what Teddy called like a third eye, his instincts. He sees things before other people sees it, and he's able to react quicker than people realize. And of course, he has the power that goes along with it. I think that cements him as the number one based on his performance against Errol Spence Jr. I think he's the number one fighter pound for pound on the planet right now. Do you agree with me? I would agree. I would agree. And it makes me think, like, I, I start to think, who would have won Terrence Crawford or, or Floyd Mayweather? And mm. Based off of how Terrence looked at welterweight, I think Terrence would have won. And then it, then it goes like, is he entering like a greatest of all time conversation as well? Um, just based off of that performance. And we'll, we'll see how things progress moving forward. There's a lot of more big fights for him out there. But it's, it's just fun to think about as a boxing fan, him versus Floyd. Jake, do you agree with me? Because I came on the air the other day after the fight and I said that beating was so bad. 
and to watch Errol Spence Jr. slurring so much after the fight, I was concerned. I said, listen, I don't want to say that one guy, a guy but one loss should retire, but it was the beatdown that I saw. It wasn't like he just got knocked out. He got caught with a punch like Woodley got caught by you. He got beat up for those nine rounds or at least the last eight because um, I had him winning the first round. I said, if he's not going to retire at the very least, he shouldn't fight a rematch as early as December. He should take like a year off. Um, Teddy Atlas agreed with me about that, along with various others that, that covered the fight. Where do you stand on that based off of what you saw from Errol Spence Jr. this Saturday night? Man, you know, I think every boxer values their health, and I think his team will make the right decision. Mm -hmm. And I will say, like, sometimes things look worse than they are mm -hmm. in the ring, like, even when I was sparring in the early days, like I felt like I was getting my ass beat, like hit all over the place. Right. And um, then, then, I, you know, I didn't feel as bad afterwards or anything like that. So sometimes things look worse than they are. It all depends on how he feels, but yeah, obviously um, a fighter's health comes above all else. And yes. I would encourage him to take that very seriously. When are we going to see you? I mean, I, 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 assuming you win Saturday night, what's next for you? And if, you know, you being a boxer, what, what, what do you view yourself as? Light heavyweight, cruiserweight, what, what, middleweight? What do you, what, super middleweight, what do you see yourself as? If you were fighting the elite fighters in the game today, who do you see yourself? Who do you picture yourself going up against at what weight division? Yeah, look, it'd probably be um, light heavyweight or or cruiserweight. I'm sort of in the middle where like my natural best weight is around 190 pounds. So it's a little bit weird for me. Um, but yeah, most likely going to be fighting, you know, cruiserweight, light heavyweights moving forward. Mm. Um, but definitely in that sort of like awkward middle area where I'm like the best at 190 pounds. Got you. I would, I would tell you. I disagree with you. I think you're going to go to 175. Do you know why I feel that way? That's where the money's at. It's never <laughs> been. It's never been in the cruiserweight division. Jake Paul is money, a capitalist. Is, you're a capitalist. I'm at. Say what? The money is where I'm at. Say what? The money is where I'm at. That's right. That's what I'm saying. You ain't got, ain't nobody in the cruiserweight division. Historically, we've paid attention to the light heavyweight to the heavyweight division. Cruiserweight division, we paid very, very, very little attention to. That ain't where the money's at. That, that to me, that's why I say to you is to be a heavyweight or to be a light heavyweight. Last question before I get on out of here. You're fighting Nate Diaz Saturday night, uh, August 5th at the American Airlines Center in Dallas, Texas. What will we see from Jake Paul that night that we haven't seen before? We've seen you knock out a few people. Obviously, we saw you lose by decision to Tommy Fury. Uh, what, what are we going to see in this fight? You're going to see sharp, sharp boxing, the sharpest I've ever looked, a skillful masterclass, poised, having fun, dancing, taunting him, and then I'm going to put him to sleep. It's going to be a vicious knockout. I, I have, uh, I made a lot of sacrifice mm -hmm. for this camp, a lot of sacrifice, and Nate Diaz is the one that has to pay for all that sacrifice on Saturday night, and I'm putting him to sleep. He's a punk. He's a bully, and he's going to get what's coming for him. So are you telling me you're going to toy with him first and then knock him out? You're not going to just I'm take him out quickly? I'm going to have fun beating his ass, <laughs> and I'm going to embarrass him and make him look like a fool. Jake Paul, man, I appreciate you as always. We got a lot to talk about, but I'll let you finish this fight first. Again, Nate Diaz, but you know you're always welcome on the show, man. I always appreciate you, man. Thanks so much. 
Thank you, man. I appreciate you. All right, my man. The one and only Jake Paul right here with Stephen A. on the Stephen A. Smith Show. YouTube. Check it out. Uh, back with more. I got to get into Mr. Joe Rogan. Something happened with Joe Rogan that I feel compelled to discuss. That's coming up next. Don't touch that dial. You're listening live to the Stephen A. Smith Show right here on the Digital Airways with YouTube. Back with more in a minute. This is the moment of a lifetime. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gonna stop me high? Welcome back to the Stephen A. Smith Show. Thanks again to the one and only Jake Paul. has got his fight Saturday night, August 5th. This Saturday night at American Airlines uh, um, Center in Dallas, Texas. Uh, home of the Dallas Cowboys. I'm sorry, home of the Dallas Mavericks. Um, that's where Nate Diaz, former UFC fighter. I don't think he's officially retired from them, though. He's getting into a boxing match. Me, personally, I think he would destroy Jake Paul in the octagon. And I think Jake Paul's going to destroy him in the ring. I don't care how long he's been boxing. He's a UFC fighter. He's not a boxer. I find it very, very difficult to believe uh, that he's going to be able to withstand the onslaught that Jake Paul is going to bring his way. I hope I'm wrong. I'm a fan of Nate Diaz, but I'm worried about him. I'm worried about him because I've seen him take punches in the octagon. All right. Um, Taking punches in the ring. What all y'all do is take punches. That's a different animal entirely. And he bleeds very, very, very easily. So all of those things I think are going to play a role. And um, I just, I just, I can't see how Nate Diaz would win this fight. Anyway, let me move on. <clears throat> Joe Rogan. I brought this up. Um, I'm going to put on my glasses here because I want to make sure I read everything accurately. Joe Rogan. Famed podcaster and comedian. He's a damn good comedian, by the way. I've watched him perform stand-up. Um, recently stated on his show, The Joe Rogan Experience, that it is a quote-unquote fact the January 6th insurrection from 2021 was a false flag orchestrated by the federal government to take down Donald Trump. Rogan promoted his conspiracy theory claiming that a Mr. Ray Epps, a pro-Trump rioter, was actually an undercover agent for the FBI who purposely incited MAGA supporters to storm the Capitol in an effort to damage then-President Donald Trump. I'm just reading from a report here. Earlier this month, Epps actually sued Fox News for defaming him with the, quote, fantastical story, end quote, that he was an undercover federal agent inciting violence in an effort to take down Trump and his supporters. So obviously, Mr. Ray Epps refutes what purportedly Fox News had claimed and clearly what Joe Rogan has claimed. On his show, The Joe Rogan Experience, Joe Rogan has repeatedly pushed quote-unquote unsubstantiated claims, according to this report, according to this article, that federal law enforcement and intelligence agency used agent provocateurs such as Epps to manipulate the crowd to attack the Capitol. Reading from a quote from Joe Rogan, it says here, I think that every other person who was involved in January 6th who was involved in coordinating a break-in into the Capitol and then instigating people, they were all arrested. This guy wasn't. He went on to assert, Joe Rogan went on to assert, not only that, but they were defending him in the New York Times, the Washington Post, um, all these different things saying Fox News has unjustly accused him of instigating when he clearly instigated. He did it on camera. I don't know if he was a Fed. I know a lot of people think he was a Fed. 
Then it goes on to say in past episodes, Rogan also claimed the intelligence intelligence community had a quote unquote vested interest in this going sideways. And if somebody wanted to disparage a political party or have some sort of a justification for getting some influential person like Donald Trump offline, that would be the way that they would do it. <sighs> Ladies and gentlemen, <clears throat> I have no clue what Joe Rogan is talking about. And by that, I mean, I have no idea whether he's right or whether he's wrong. I'm not siding with him. I'm not saying he's all right, but I'm not summarily dismissing every and any syllable he echoes as conspiracy theories. I am a black man. Point of history that you might know. Malcolm X, there were people that accused him of having conspiracy theories about the government before he was assassinated. Dr. Martin Luther King, conspiracy theories, conspiracy theories about the government and the CIA and the FBI and them tapping his phones and all of that stuff. He was assassinated. In the years that followed, albeit devoid of concrete proof, enough circumstantial evidence came forward to add credence to arguments of conspiracy theories that involved our government. I am not saying any of it because I don't know. I don't know. What I get upset about is when people act like they do know, and that makes Joe Rogan ignorant. It makes Joe Rogan wrong. It makes Joe Rogan just an absolute fool. No. It makes him very, very suspicious because he knows what level of insidious behavior our government has been capable of in the past. Hell, we're looking at some things that are transpiring right now. Now, before I go any further, we all know I'm no damn supporter of Donald Trump. I don't even get into his policies. I think he's juvenile. I think he's petulant and petty. I think he is a renowned narcissist, the likes of which we may have never seen. He is so fixated on himself that you can't trust him. John Lewis, Representative John Lewis, the great John Lewis, who marched in Selma, who fought for black people all over the place, put his life on the line. He passed away. This was an iconic figure in the black community. Donald Trump had no nice words for him. What was his reason? Well, he didn't have nice words about me. Couldn't even pay respects. Running for the presidency, John McCain is somewhat critical of him before he passes away. And he's like, I'd rather support somebody who didn't get captured rather than John McCain, who was a prisoner of war. And a hero in the eyes of many Americans. Trump was disrespectful towards him. I think he's juvenile. I think he's petty. And I think because he cares so much about his name and how he looks, he is not beyond lying on a daily basis. That's why I think the presidency is a statesman position. I had no problem with George W. Bush being president. I had very little problems with Ronald Reagan being president, beating Gerald, you know, Jimmy Carter, and then after that, Walter Mondale. George H.W. Bush, eh? 
I hear, I hear a few things about his days when he was a senator prior to that being the head of the CIA. But I had no problem with George W. Bush. I had no problem with Bill Clinton. I even was on the record and saying, I couldn't argue with Dick Cheney. When a reporter came up to Dick Cheney and they said to Dick Cheney, hey, you know what? The American people, the polls show, blah, 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 blah. And Dick Cheney looked that reporter in the face and said, so? I actually admired the former vice president for that. Said, so what? I don't care. You elected us to lead. We're leading. This is not a popularity contest. Damn, I respected that answer. Because if I was elected president, I wouldn't give a damn about doing what is right. I wouldn't give a damn about polls and winning popularity contests. I say all of that to say I am not a person that looks at a political party and say, I don't want anything to do with you because of your party. I look at your policies. And in the case of the presidency, I look at statesmanship. Are you interested in bringing all people together? Are you interested in representing the interest of the United States of America instead of yourself? And I don't think Trump is that guy. Having said all of that, there are tens of millions of people in the United States of America who disagree with me. There are over 74 million people who validated that difference, who voted for him. And I contend that of the 80 plus million who voted in favor of Joe Biden, 95% of them were voting against Trump, not for Biden. So having said all of that and understanding the times that we're living in and understanding how divisive our country is, Joe Rogan, yo, y'all, he's the king. Brother got over 15 million followers on his show, subscribers. I mean, he's been doing it for a hell of a long time. And what I hope to accomplish in this position, owning and operating this show myself, is what he has already accomplished. Now, I might not agree with a lot of things that he say, and I might not, I certainly haven't delved deep enough to think about conspiracy theories, and I'm not going to, but guess what, ladies and gentlemen, I got news for you, newsflash. I don't think Donald Trump is fit for office. I don't think there's any way in hell he should be allowed to run for the presidency again. I hate the fact that he's a leading candidate. I hate the fact that Ron DeSantis has been so idiotic that there's no way he's going to catch Trump and there's no way he's going to get votes in a general election. I hate it. I hate the fact that we got to look at Trump possibly going up against Biden again. Absolutely positively hate it. But let me tell you something. There's a lot of people who don't. And there's a lot of people who believe exactly what Joe Rogan stated. And if you want to knock them off in a general election, you better listen. You better listen to what the other side is thinking. You can't just summarily dismiss them and ignore them. That's the adversary. That's the opposition. You don't ignore it. You compete against it. That's what you do. And when you look at Joe Rogan, I got news for y'all. I'm not one of those people who believes that Donald Trump caused the insurrection. 
Those are grown-ass men and women that were there. I don't give a damn who you are. You can't convince me to bulldoze through barricades, run over law enforcement officials, damn near crush a cop through the swinging doors, break windows, kick in doors of our nation, of our U.S. capital. You can't convince me to do that. I don't give a damn who you are. Remember when Cat Williams sat up there and said about Barack Obama once he got elected? Y'all just don't understand what it was. I mean, you just don't understand how it was. Barack Obama could have said anything. He could have said anything. And black folks everywhere would have done what he wanted. If he sold everybody to go clean up trash. You would have had gangbangers out there sitting up there. I don't think you want to drop that there today, my brother. Remember when Cat Williams joked about that? Doing a stand-up comedy? He was somewhat right, but somewhat embellishing. Because if Barack Obama had told thousands of people to roll up to the nation's capital and invade the capital, which he would never do because he's class personified and he'll always be my president in terms of statesmanship with his wonderful wife and wonderful family. Please understand, I believe the adults are responsible. Did Donald Trump fan the flames? Yes. Was he irresponsible? Yes. Was he pathetic? Yes. Was he slow to act and call in the National Guard and other help for elected officials once the Capitol was being stormed? Sure he did, in my opinion. Whether or not you can hold him culpable. That's a different matter altogether. I know they're trying. Former President Donald Trump indicted again for an unprecedented third time. This is third. This this seems to be the most consequential. Due to the fact that new charges have to do with his effort to subvert the Democratic Republic itself, he's the only person named as a defendant. Special counsel Jack Smith unveiled his case, alleging that the former president broke several laws in his attempts to overturn the 2020 election with a grand jury indictment returned Tuesday that illustrated the depth and breadth of the federal criminal investigations. Prosecutors said in the new charging documents that he and six unindicted co-conspirators orchestrated a plot to overturn the results on and leading up to January 6, 2021. Trump has been summoned to appear before a magistrate judge. Magistrate judge on Thursday, which is tomorrow, on four charges. One, conspiracy to defraud the United States. Two, conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding. Three, obstruction of an attempt to obstruct an official proceeding. And four, conspiracy against rights. You have people like Joe Rogan and others that are disgusted by that. They think the Department of Justice is being politicized. They believe it's a witch hunt. And guess what? They have company. You know why? Because every time Donald Trump gets himself in trouble, more money is donated to his campaign. The lead widens between him and DeSantis and Nikki Haley and Chris Christie and Vice President Pence and Larry Elder and others. This is what it is. 
You're feeding the beast that is his machine. And by the way, he's using it to pay most of his legal fees, which has been in excess of $40 million. So the money that they're donating to his campaign, he's using it to pay his legal fees. Meanwhile, he shows up at these rallies or he ends up on television and he markets himself that way so he doesn't have to abuse those dollars or the dollars that he lost for his legal fees to pay for commercials. Joe Rogan apparently is somebody that believes it's all smoke and mirrors. Folks on that side of the aisle probably feel it's a concerted effort to manipulate the, the, the direction of the election. And by the way, they may not be wrong because in the end, at the end of the day, isn't what this is really, isn't what this really is all about or what really this is all about is preventing him from becoming the president of the United States again? Of course it is. If Donald Trump wasn't running for the presidency, chances are they'd have left him alone. Vita went on his merry way, saying, I'm never running for office again, disappeared like Daniel Snyder, the former owner, the now former owner of the Washington Commanders, because once he had all of these salacious charges uh, levied against him, the man left the country. We ain't seen him since. Who knows if Donald Trump would not have done that? But he stayed. And he's running for president again. And because he's running for president again, folks are trying to get him not to. That's what's going on. It's plain and simple. It's plain and simple. I understand that people want to get at Joe Rogan. And again, I'm not agreeing with him. I'm agreeing with his right to express that opinion. So long as he classifies it as an opinion. If you want to attack him for saying it's facts when it's not facts, apparently, because Ray Epps denied everything that he said and it's devoid of confirmation, fine. Because even Joe Rogan himself asserted he still doesn't know if Epps was actually working with the FBI, according to this article. But he has an audience. He has his own beliefs. And he's not afraid to state them. Doesn't mean you could just say anything. But when you've built the audience that he's built, there is a touch of credibility that comes with it that a lot of folks may not want to recognize. I recognize it. I don't agree with what he's saying in this particular instance about the insurrection on January 6th in 2021. But he's not alone. There's a whole bunch of people who feel that way. And trying to silence them only makes them louder. Someday we'll learn that. Someday we will. A couple of items before I get on out of here. One has me sad. My colleague at ESPN, Mark Jackson, was let go by the worldwide leader this week. I did not know this at the time but that I was on the air Monday, last time I was on the air. Mark Jackson is a friend. I'm cool with Jeff Van Gundy as well, along with a plethora of others, obviously Jalen Rose and various others, but I'm from Hollis, Queens. Mark Jackson's from that Murdoch area. He played ball at O'Connor Park. I tried to play. 
He starred at St. John's. I tried to, I, I tried to do something. He was a rookie of the year in the NBA. I wasn't gifted enough to make it to the NBA. Mark Jackson is a brilliant basketball mind. Um, an accomplished player. An elite and cerebral point guard. And an even better man. Um, I'm incredibly sad that he was let go. But I wasn't surprised once I started reading the reports. And I'm not certain, I'm not saying that it, it had anything to do with it. But you had a lot of people that were saying when Jeff Van Gundy was let go, why isn't Mark Jackson? Like Mark Jackson can't stand on his own. Jeff Van Gundy can't stand on his own. Jeff Van Gundy and Mark Jackson called plenty of games without one another throughout their careers at ESPN. So I believe in Mark Jackson. I believe he's an elite basketball analyst who definitely should land on his feet. But the reason I'm sad is because I'd be lying if I said I wasn't concerned as to whether or not he'd get the opportunity to do so. Ladies and gentlemen, Mark Jackson should have been a, bas a head basketball coach in the National Basketball Association for years now. He got let go by the Golden State Warriors. Steve Kerr comes in there and he's done an outstanding job and has established himself as one of the top five coaches in the history of basketball. Steve Kerr is also by somebody who inherited a foundation built by Mark Jackson. And for me, I've seen too many coaches in the National Basketball Association get second chances. Why hasn't that happened for Mark Jackson? Mark Jackson, as far as I'm concerned, should have been named the Knicks head coach before when Mike D'Antoni got the job. He should have been named the Knicks head coach when Tom Thibodeau got the job, even though I like Thibodeau. It would have been nice to see him get the Milwaukee job instead of Adrian Griffin getting the job, even though I like Adrian Griffin. Billy Donovan won two national titles at Florida. He goes to Oklahoma City. Um, damn good coach, can't get it done, gets the job in Chicago. I'm seeing coaches in a lot of different places. And if they don't remain as coach, they get elevated. Brad Stevens, seven years, fantastic coach in Boston, never able to get them to the finals. Ime Udoka got Boston to the finals after he got the job in year one. Brad Stevens hired him. He's the president of basketball operations for the Boston Celtics. I see a plethora of people getting opportunities. But not my man, Mark Jackson. And I know he has his critics. And I know there are people that look at him and felt he should have did things differently. There's some people that don't like him. I know all of that. But even they would admit the likelihood of Steph Curry and Klay Thompson becoming what they became would not have happened if it were not for Mark Jackson. You would think, since they're four-time champions, since they're two of the greatest shooters who have ever graced the sport, you would think that would warrant him getting another job. Yet somehow that hasn't been the case. That's really unfortunate. And I hope that changes. Last item before I go to the calls. I want to take a moment to give some props to Jamaica's 
the reggae girls. They made history, knocking out Brazil to advance into the 2023 Women's World Cup. As many of you know, there you go right there. You see him. <coughs> Excuse me. You see it right there. It's a beautiful moment. Beautiful moment. Look at this. That's special. As many of you know, the 2023 Women's World Cup, jointly hosted by New Zealand and Australia, is going on. Spectacular match on Wednesday. Jamaica's the reggae girls knocked Brazil out of the tournament after a goalless draw. It's the first time Jamaica reached a World Cup knockout stage in its history. Booking a slot amongst the last 16 teams in the next round of the tournament. And for those of you who ask why you're bringing it up, because you know I have West Indian man, you know. From St. Thomas Virgin Islands. Anytime I see something in the islands, a man loves that, my son. Trust me. I'm very, very proud of the ladies. Way to go, y'all. What makes this such a beautiful story is that the team had to set up a GoFundMe account to pay for their trip to the Women's World Cup. The fund, Reggae Girls, G-I-R-L-Z, Reggae Girls Rise Up, was set up by Sandra Phillips Brower, the mother of midfielder Havana Salon. It raised more than 45000 for their trip. Got a lot of love for y'all. Big Irie, the reggae girls of Jamaica. Keep doing your thing, ladies. Keep doing your thing. Before we get on out of here for the day, let's go to the calls. Who we got? Yo, Stephen A., it has been uh, from Massachusetts, and I was wondering, how do you deal with naysayers? Well, how do I deal with naysayers? That's what they ask. First of all, a vast majority of my time is spent not giving two, damn, two shits what they think. I could care less about naysayers most of the time. On rare occasions, a naysayer may have a point. And if I agree with them, I own it. Um, I don't live in fear of acknowledging my flaws or my mistakes. I confront them, acknowledge them, and then move beyond it. So I won't be a prisoner to it. But people are going to hate no matter what, because most of the time, they're not you. And so what happens is, is that they pay attention to you to try to pull you down because that's their definition of upliftment. And you can't give them the satisfaction. Screw them. You do what you do. Naysayers are going to always exist. Matter of fact, the more you climb, the more naysayers are going to be under you trying to pull you down. You got to live for it and want it. Period. Let's get to the next caller. Hey, Stephen A. My name is uh, Christian. I'm from South Carolina. So I saw uh, the other day Brandon Jennings talking about um, how he thinks James Harden is a better overall player than Dwayne Wade. I was just wondering your take on that. And if you think uh, James Harden had Shaq and LeBron uh, like Dwayne Wade did, do you think he would have more rings than D-Wade does or any at all? Thanks. Well, first of all, I appreciate the call. Secondly, I don't think it was um, uh, Brandon Knight or whatever. I, I think it was somebody else, Jeff Teague, if I remember correctly, but I'm not sure that said that about D-Wade compared to James Harden. James Harden 
Harden was a better individual scorer. Averaged over 30 about four times in his career, won about three scoring titles, won a league MVP, was absolutely sensational offensively, unstoppable one-on-one. Dribbling the ball through his legs, step back threes, all of that. The problem is, is that you have to take into account leadership. James, uh, you know, Dwayne Wade won a title with Shaq. Dwayne Wade recruited LeBron and LeBron and Bosh and got them to come to Miami and they won titles and people wanted to come there like Ray Allen and Shane Battier and Mario Chalmers and others in large part because D Wade was there. He's a leader, not just a player. And you have to have leaders in order to win big. In the case of James Harden, you wanted Dwight Howard, then you didn't want him. You wanted Chris Paul, then you didn't want him. You wanted Russell Westbrook, then you didn't want him. And so when you have that level of inconsistency or sporadicness, and you have a GM like Daryl Morey who does everything but give you a pacifier and a bib because he loves you so much, he lets you get away with everything. You do what you want, when you want, how you want. And rules that apply to everybody else don't apply to you, even to the point where Mike D'Antoni didn't even show James Harden negative plays of himself because of fear that that would alienate James Harden. Those kind of things are problematic. And those are the kind of things that get in the way of peeling max effort from the pieces around you to ultimately become champions. D-Wade was nothing like that. And that's why D-Wade is going into the Hall of Fame this month as a three-time champion and one of the greatest two guards to ever play this game. That's the truth. Next call. Hey, Stephen A. Marty from Minnesota. Quick question. I believe Sean Payton and Bruce Arians are in the same level as in terms of giving people a race a chance. Do you think the Sean Payton comments were something like directed towards somebody like Eric Bieniemy, as in terms of Bieniemy would have not done that bad of a job? Thanks. Could be. Um, I think Sean Payton is protective of the culture. And I think that Sean Payton being protective of the culture and seeing what Nathaniel Hackett allowed in Denver last year is what made him be overtly critical of the Denver Broncos as an organization, of Russell Wilson, and of course, um, Nathaniel Hackett. That's just my personal belief. I think it's one of those situations where, you know, for me, I'm not saying in any way that Sean Payton should have called Nathaniel Hackett out like that. My colleague at ESPN, Ryan Clark, and one of the hosts of the Pivot podcast does an exceptional job, love him like a brother. Um, he was saying those were the actions of a very, very small man, Nathaniel Hackett, he was talking about. I'm not saying that I, I'm talking about Sean Payton. I'm sorry. He was talking about Sean Payton criticizing Nathaniel Hackett. I get it. But I also think we might want to consider the fact that Sean Payton went after Nathaniel Hackett for compromising the culture that exists in the NFL coaching fraternity. There are certain things you don't allow. You don't allow a quarterback to come in and have his own coaches his own massage therapist, his own, you know, uh, quarterbacks coach, his own chef and all of that stuff on the facilities in the building. You don't allow somebody to run amok and have rules flagrantly not applying to them that are applicable to everybody else. And I think that's what Sean Payton was addressing and attacking Nathaniel Hackett for. That's my personal opinion. I don't know that to be the case. I haven't spoken to Sean Payton about that, but I suspect that's what it was. Next caller. What's up, Stephen A. Smith? This is Mike. 
from Orange, California. Go ahead, man. Got as your sleeper pick to make the NBA playoffs this year. Much love, Stephen A. I don't have anybody as my sleeper pick as of yet to make the playoffs. You want to call Dallas a sleeper pick? Fine. I think with Kyrie and Luka Doncic with a full training camp and season under their belt, they could make the playoffs. Um, I think Minnesota can make the playoffs again. Um, I just don't look at it. I mean, I'm not seeing anybody else right now. No sleeper picks. I think the same, most of the same people you saw in there with the exception of Dallas um, we'll be back in there uh, next year. I do believe that. Um, but everybody else, I think they are what we think they are. Last caller. Hey, my name is Todd, man. I'm from Macon, Georgia. I wanted to ask Stephen A. Smith, do you think LeBron C receives the hate because of from the older NBA players because of his accomplishments and his accolades and what they haven't done? Um... I think LeBron James spent the first part of his career. This is what my honest opinion is. And this is why LeBron James, as phenomenal and great as he is, will never be crowned as the greatest player in my eyes. Ever. Here's the reason why. The road to prosperity matters not just the actual prosperity you achieved. What I'm trying to explain is when you look at LeBron James, forget the loss in the finals to the San Antonio Spurs when they got swept in 2007. He's a young team. He was relatively young. They were completely overmatched by the San Antonio Spurs. No match whatsoever. We get that part. But if you remember when he lost to the Dallas Mavericks in 2011, I would remind you all that LeBron James folded in the fourth quarter of several games during the NBA Finals. It got to a point where Jason Terry was guarding him in the post or a Jason Kidd, and he was doing nothing. And there were people who were holding that against him. Here's why it matters. Because when you're comparing somebody against the all-time greats, what they're thinking about is the level of adverse circumstances they went through, not just compared to you, but the fact that they were unassisted by a culture on a come up, which would ultimately uplift you and, prov and, and guide you to the finish line. Their attitude is if he were playing in our era, how emotionally or mentally warped he appeared to be in the earlier part of his career, we would have seen to it. He never overcame that. Y'all are looking at him that he was able to overcome it based on this culture. What we're saying is if somebody walked into the league against us in our heyday and we felt like we could psych them out and prevent them from maximizing their skill set because mentally and emotionally they were not as hard and as stern as they needed to be, you never would have got to the point where you leapfrog over that and overcame those maladies to become a champion. And that is what they hold them accountable for. Whether right or wrong, I think that's the belief they have. And that is why they don't give LeBron James the love. But there is no excuse for Dr. J to have a list of top 10 players all time and not to have LeBron James on the list. I got him top two all time. Some people got him top three because they got Kareem ahead of him. 
How in God's name do you have you don't have LeBron James as the top 10? Elgin Baylor, Oscar Robertson. I get it. Carl Malone. I understand. How in God's name do you not have LeBron James ahead of them? Jerry West. Love Jerry West. The silhouette. But you lost eight titles and nine tries. Yelja Bailey, you never won a title. Yaska Robinson, you got a couple. LeBron's got four. He's got four league MVPs. Been to finals 10 times. He's 6'9 with a handle and a jump shot and power in a post game. He's been in the league for over 20 years. He's withstood the test of time. How do you not have him in your top 10? That's ridiculous. I would never insult him like that. That would be blasphemous. As always, thank you again for tuning into the show. Make sure to like and follow the Stephen A. Smith Show on YouTube. I promise you I will get these technical matters addressed and fixed expeditiously. You have my word. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13, an Odyssey company in association with Stephen A. Podcast Productions. Episodes of No Mercy are available now for free wherever you get your podcasts.